Lake Tahoe is 15 miles from Truckee, which is one of the mountain stations on the main line of the Southern Pacific Railway, Central Route, 208 miles from San Francisco, 35 miles from Reno, Nevada, and 574 miles from Ogden, Utah. By the San Joaquin Valley route via Sacramento, the distance to Los Angeles is 580 miles, or by San Francisco, and the coastline 692 miles. During the summer season trains run frequently through, making Tahoe easily accessible. From the east the traveler comes over what is practically the long-known and historic overland stage road, over which so many thousands of gold seekers and emigrants came in the days of California's gold excitement. Every mile has some story of pioneer bravery or heroism, of hairbreadth escape from hostile Indians or fortuitous deliverance from storm or disaster. It was over this route the pilgrims came who sought in Utah a land of freedom, where they might follow their own peculiar conceptions of religion and duty, untrammeled and uninterfered with by hostile onlookers and disbelievers. Here came the home seekers of the earlier day, when California was still a province of Mexico, those who had been lured by the glowing stories of the land of the sundown sea, where orange and lemon, vine and fig flourished and indicated the semi-tropic luxuriance and fruitfulness of the land. From the west the railroad traverses, in the main, the continuation of this old overland road. After leaving the fertile valley of the Sacramento and rising into the glorious foothills of the Sierras, Every roll of the billows of the mountains and canyons wedged in between is redolent of memories of the Argonauts and emigrants. Yonder are Yuba, Dutch Flat, the North Fork, the South Fork, of the American River, Colfax, Gold Run, Midas, Blue Canyon, Emigrant Gap, Grass Valley, Michigan Bluff, Grizzly Gulch, Alpha, Omega, Eagle Bird, Red Dog, Chips Flat, Quaker Hill, and Ubet. Can you not see these camps, alive with rough-handed, full-bearded, sun-browned, stalwart men, and hear the clang of hammer upon drill, the shock of the blast, the wheeling away, and crash of waste rock as it is thrown over the dump pile? And then, as we look up and forward into the sea of mountain waves into the heart of which we ride, who but Joaquin Miller can describe the scene? Here lifts the land of clouds. Fierce mountain forms made white with everlasting snows, look down. Through mists of many canyons, mighty storms. That stretch from autumn's purple drench and drown. The yellow hem of spring. Tall cedars frown. Dark-browed, through bannered clouds that stretch and stream. Above the sea from snowy mountain crown. The heavens roll, and all things drift or seem to drift about and drive like some majestic dream. And it is in the very bosom of this majestic scenery that Lake Tahoe lies enshrined. Its entrancing beauty is such that we do not wonder that these triumphant monarchs of the upper seas cluster around it as if in reverent adoration, and that they were their vestal virgin robes of purest white in token of the purity of their worship. Thoughts like these flood our hearts and minds as we reach Truckee, the point where we leave the Southern Pacific cars and change to those of the narrow-gauge Lake Tahoe Railway and Transportation Company. After a brief wait, long enough to allow transfer of baggage, we leave, from the same station, 
for the 15 miles ride to Tahoe Tavern on the very edge of the lake. This ride is itself romantic and beautiful. On the day trains observation cars are provided, and the hour is one of delightful, restful and enchanting scenes. The Truckee River is never out of sight, and again, and again it reminds one in its foaming speed of Joaquin Miller's expressive phrase, see where the cool white river runs. Before 1900 this ride used to be taken by stage, the railway having been built in that year. It is interesting here to note that the rails, the locomotives, the passenger, and freight cars were all transported bodily across the lake from Glenbrook, on the Nevada side. There they were in use for many years mainly for hauling logs and lumber to and from the mills on the summit, whence it was flumed to Carson City. In those days logging was carried on in the Truckee River Canyon, and the visitor would often have the pleasure of seeing logs shoot the chutes into the river, by which they were floated to the mills at Truckee. Here is a picture, tree, bush, and flower grow and blossom upon either side, and a little bird, with a throat like a thrush, warbles a canticle of exquisite musical modulations, so to speak. But the most stirring sight of all is the system of logging carried on by the mill companies. Look. Quick, ejaculates the driver, and your gaze is directed to a monster log that comes furiously dashing from the summit down a chute a thousand feet in length with twice the ordinary speed of a locomotive. So rapid is its descent that it leaves a trail of smoke behind it, and sometimes kindles a fire among the slivers along its way. Ah! It strikes the water. In an instant there is an inverted Niagara in the air, resplendent with prismatic and transparent veils of spray, one. The main portion of the canyon is walled in by abrupt acclivities, upon which majestic trees used to grow, but where now only the growth of the past twenty-five to fifty years is found, doing its best to hide the scars and wounds of the logging days. The river, issuing from the lake above, dashes down its wild way in resistless freedom. It is a rapid, all but savage stream, widening occasionally into sheltered pools exceedingly dark and deep. The boulders in its channel, and those crowding down into it from its farther bank, cause it to eddy and foam with fierce but becoming pride. A few miles from the tavern we pass the scene of the Squaw Valley mining excitement, where the two towns of Knoxville, and Claraville arose as if by magic, tent cities of thousands of inhabitants, lured hither by a dream of gold, too soon to fade away, leaving nothing but distress behind. Deer Park Station suggests the leaving point for that charmingly picturesque resort, snuggling in the heart of Bear Canyon. Now we pass the masses of tufaceous breccia that Pap Church, the old stage driver used to call the devil's pulpit, and the devil's this, and that or the other until many a traveler would wish they were all with the devil. This is a remnant of the vast mass of volcanic rock that in long-ago prehistoric times was poured out in molten sheets over the region, and that formed the range we shall shortly see at the north end of the lake the Mount Pluto Range. At some later period either earthquake convulsion started the break which ultimately eroded and disintegrated into the great gorge through which the railway has brought us or grinding glacier cut the pathway for us. Here, on the right, is a tiny swinging footbridge over the river. This is the beginning, the suggestion, 
for the vast suspension bridges that have allowed the world to cross the Great North River from New York to Brooklyn, and that span great rivers and gorges elsewhere in the world. Nay, scarcely the beginning. That you find further up and deeper down in the high Sierras and their shaded and wooded canyons, where wild vines throw their clinging tendrils across from one shore to another of foaming creeks and gradually grow in girth and strength until they form bridges, over which chipmunks, squirrels, porcupines, coons, coyotes, and finally mountain lions, bears, and even men cross with safety. There is the real origin of the suspension bridge. But this is a miniature, a model, a suggestion of the big bridges. It affords ready access to the house on the other side. In winter, however, the boards are taken up, as the heavy snows that fall and accumulate might wreck it. It is hard to realize that, a few months from now, when winter begins, this railroad must perforce cease its operations. Snow falls, here, where the sun is now smiling so beneficently upon laughing meadows, dotted here, and there with dainty flowers, to a depth of ten, and even twenty feet. The mail necessarily much reduced in winter is first of all carried in sleighs, then, as the snows deepen, on snowshoes, so that those who stay to preserve the summer hotels from winter's ravages may not feel entirely shut out from the living world beyond. But there is nothing that suggests snow now. We are enjoying the delights of a summer day or evening, and know that we are near our journey's end. Suddenly there is a long call of the whistle, a short curve, and if in the daytime, the lake suddenly appears, or, if at night, the lights of the tavern, and our rail journey is done. We are deposited in fairyland, for whether it be day or evening, the lake or the tavern, our senses are thrilled and charmed by everything that appears.